The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. April is National Minority Health Month. On today's show, we are speaking with Jeremy Stewart, a nutrition and general health outreach educator at Cornell Wellness. We explore the importance of minority health, especially the role of trauma and mental health within minority communities. We also talk about what staff and faculty can do to address these issues here at Cornell. My name is Toral Patel. My name is Anthony Sis. And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today on the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Why don't you start by sharing with our listeners a little bit about yourself, about the pronouns that you use, and maybe how long you've been here at Cornell. Thank you, Anthony, and thank you, Toro. It's good to be with you all. Love sharing this space with you both. So I'm Jeremy Stewart. I'm the Nutrition and Health Outreach Educator for Cornell Wellness. I've been with Cornell Wellness for about two years in my full-time role. I actually, before that, I worked in CFC, which is uh, the group exercise coach for their programming. And oh, sorry, I use he, him, and his. Awesome. You you know, I think you are our first guest that's been on the show twice. So for our listeners who don't know, Jeremy was also featured on the Blackness at Cornell series and did an episode yeah. there. So thank you for your awesome contribution to that series. And so, yeah, you're our first two-timer. So welcome back. <laughs> Like I said before, I, I really enjoy sharing the space with you both. So I appreciate you bringing me on again. So I'm going to give it to Toro now for our question of the day that we're all going to answer, but she's the only one who knows. So that's right. what's our question, Toro? Okay. So in the interest of the topic that we're going to be discussing today, and with everything that's gone on, you know, over this past year with the pandemic, social unrest, all of the things that we've experienced, what have you done to take care of yourself related to your own health and wellness? So for me, it's been a few different things. So health and wellness is just way beyond just your physical attributes, sure. right? So a lot of it for me was really getting my mental well-being right, especially with all the civil unrest that we see, because it really brought up a lot of past stuff for me, which, you know, I talked about a lot on the last podcast that we did together. So for me, it was really about kind of getting back to all the things that made me feel whole. So like reading and meditating, that played a huge role. And then really kind of getting myself back on a routine as far as fitness goes because I'm a huge person for the weight room like that's I literally if I don't have the weight room I, I go nuts I like to pick heavy things up and put them down <laughs> um, but when I so when I wasn't able to do that it, it definitely played a huge toll on not only my physical health but my mental health as well so I think you know kind of switching roles and kind of going into more of a high intensity interval training working out with my wife doing stuff at home doing body weight stuff and then you know, really getting back to reading and, and, and doing some self-help stuff it has been really, really great for me. What about you guys? So thinking about the past year, so the two things that come to mind similar with mental health. And so just recently, I've just started to see a therapist because I just really needed to prioritize my mental well-being. So I've, as the listeners know, through previous episodes, I've been going through a lot in terms of loss and grieving and 
mourning, particularly with family members who passed away from COVID, in addition to just life in general and just the chaos that life has been. And so part of my own commitment to my own well-being has been to seek out therapy. And, uh, and I'm super happy about that. I'm super happy that I made that conscious decision. And the other thing too is I've always wanted to invest in my skincare routine and my products. And so definitely focusing on keeping my skin moisturized, on my face, my body, using, you know, different types of lotions to be able to kind of experiment and see what my body reacts well to and what it really enjoys, what, how it feels and being in tune with all of those senses in regards to my skincare. So that's another way I've been prioritizing my well-being in this time. I do got to say real quick, Anthony, thank you for bringing up the point of seeking a therapist. Because I, I have also done that as well. I'm a huge advocate for that. And I know we've talked about that before. I think that it's important to talk about these things in the spaces that we're in about seeking therapy because it can do so much for you, especially when you're unpacking a lot, like the stuff that you've talked about as well. So I have also seeked out therapy. So that's been a great source of help for me as well. Sorry, Toro, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. Uh, And so for me, I think this is something that I've discussed before that, you know, for my New Year's resolution or my intentions this year, I say that I'm putting myself first and not that I'm putting everybody else, you know, below that, but it's just that really investing in myself and in all the components. And so everything from same thing with Anthony, skincare, hair care routine, and then, you know, tying back to you, Jeremy, the physical wellness I've started to invest a little bit in that in terms of kind of at home workouts, things like that. A friend of mine just opened a CrossFit gym here in our area. So thinking about kind of joining that and then really reading a lot, like uh, just kind of bringing myself mentally kind of into the space that I want to be in and then surrounding myself with things that really matter. Uh, Like I said, with my, like my family, that kind of stuff. So all of those things have been helping me. Nice. I love it. Jeremy, we are here to talk about National Minority Health Month, which is currently this month, April, which is also National Diversity Month in general. But to get us started for this conversation, what we would both love to hear from you is why is this month in particular important to really address specifically minority health concerns, issues? But also, too, I mean, it's very clear that you're passionate about this conversation around health and not just physical health, but health more broadly. So maybe we can also talk a little bit about kind of what drove you to this work, what motivates you to continue doing this work, and then maybe tie it back to the topic of this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a lot. Know, lot, Anthony. A, <laughs> I know. It, is, it is a lot. So I'm going to try to I'm going to try to start uh, at the at the top, right? So we're in uh, April, you know, so National Minority Health Month, and I myself am a minority, and I think, and I identify as a, as a Black male. Uh, I think everybody on this call right now identifies as a minority, right? Yes. Um, so obviously, it's very important to me, and I think that it's important to you all as well. And I would say what drove me to be passionate about this is I didn't start out this way. I think this this line of work really chose me. I didn't choose it, <laughs> you know? So I actually started off as an athlete. And so when I remember as a kid, like having like a bow flex and then I got, I got a weight bench and I played varsity sports when I was like 14 years old, varsity football. So like I had to start working out early. So like as a young adult, like I really, really enjoyed fitness. So that was a huge part of my life. And then, you know, becoming a personal trainer and then a group exercise coach, it really formed my love around working for people. So it wasn't just me doing it for myself anymore. It was like, I really loved seeing the results, like people seeing the results that they got from working with me. 
it just really kind of drove me further into this idea of like health, like, you know, more of a generalized than just like the fitness piece of it. And then what happened was, is I, nutrition was never really a huge thing for me. And I think, I think it's important to talk about that too, because I think it's a huge thing in our cultures. We don't really think about what we're putting into our body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started doing MMA. So mixed martial arts. So I, I was a fighter for about four years. And you really have to focus on your eating. Like it, this is the first time in my life that I've actually done like disciplined eating, like disciplined nutrition. And I realized the benefits of not only that I had on my body, but on like my mind and the way that I was able to perform. So then I got, I started like to really like think about how can I do this all the time and not just when I'm trying to step on a scale to weigh in. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I started studying nutrition a little bit more. I got a few certifications and it really kind of just drove me to like really think about health more than fitness, right? Think about it in terms of nutrition. And then that drove it past that and like think about it in terms of sleep and then mental health. So it really, uh, you know, it just kind of snowballed. And so now I'm here and, uh, and now I just, I love talking to people about how much health really plays such a huge role in, in our daily lives and health as well. And tying it back into minority health, like I said, I'm a minority and, you know, I've seen the disproportionate effect that an unhealthy lifestyle has led to people that look like me and led to other minorities. So just like the, how unhealthy behaviors have really been normalized. So, you know, everything from like fried foods to lack of physical activity unhealthy sleeping behaviors, excessive alcohol consumption, smoking, things like that. And so I, I think that it's important for me and myself to have people that look like me see me doing the things that I do and try. I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm sitting here and be perfect. Like I, like I live this perfect lifestyle, but I think that, you know, just being an advocate for it is super important. Just trying to show people with my daily life and what I do that, you know, you can play a huge role in just you're a small circle and what that can have. Did I answer that all, Anthony? You it's very long way to so well. Yeah. I think I you was... actually answered the next question too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I'm like convinced that you probably already heard like a, an episode we did earlier this year where we talked about our kind of what we're coming into 2021 with. And I literally said, mine is health is wealth. And so, mm-hmm. so but, but really from the perspective of just, you know, the more I invest in my health, the wealthier I become. And I think when we talk about the differences between being rich and being wealthy, that's also a, there's a significant gap when we're talking about minorities in general about what wealth looks like. And I think wealth looks one way financially, but I think wealth in terms of health and going back to your piece around just so many of these harmful things that minorities typically will do to their own bodies, not by choice. I would argue it's not by choice, just by just lack of awareness, lack of education, or even tools to be able to enhance their lifestyles in many different ways. So that's, you know, literally what my resolution was this year. And now you just said it here. So I'm like, wait a minute, did you listen? No, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, and just to kind of piggyback off that, I I think lack of awareness is a big piece of it too. You Mm -hmm. know, and I know you talked about this as like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like if you're Mm -hmm. in survival mode, you have no, like you can't really focus on the other things that make you thrive, right? Because you're so stuck in survival. And I think that, you know, a lot of these unhealthy behaviors, especially speaking from myself and, you know, a lot of my family members is like, and, and like, it's just being a black male. 
I think that, you know, we have a lot of trauma that we're trying to deal with. And a lot of the things that those unhealthy behaviors that come up are a direct result of that trauma. So when we start to dissect that a little bit, start to become a little bit more aware, it's, it's easier to deal with. And then to hopefully push yourself a little bit farther to start taking health a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. I think to me, that's the key because I've talked within my own culture about, and it's for us, it's related to the food that we eat, right? Which mm-hmm. is causes a lot of the health issues that we have to deal with as a culture. And it's all tied to the, the celebrations that we have, the food that we eat and, and how we cook that food, all of that kind of stuff. So I think having these conversations and being open and honest and kind of, like you said, the lack of awareness, making ourselves aware of what is happening and how we can go about changing that, I think is a huge key and component. Mm-hmm. So in terms of this intersection with uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and health, can you talk a, a little bit about what it looks like here at Cornell? So this is very interesting because I know that you, Anthony, and I have all been working on this DEI initiative. So I think it's cool to kind of have this conversation because we've seen the intersection between like health and DEI and what it looks like at Cornell just from like we did, we launched that survey and we saw that most minorities and underrepresented populations here at Cornell are taking on such a huge burden with like being overworked and being underpaid. So when you're in that space, it's almost impossible to take a look at your own health. It becomes hard to prioritize that. Yep. We're serving in these populations where we really just don't have the time to focus on our own health and well-being. And that is directly related to how we thrive as individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think right now, because of what we're all experiencing with the pandemic, I think it's also, like I said, lack of awareness is one, but it's also lack of opportunity, right? We don't have access to the same things that we did on when we were physically together on campus. We don't all necessarily have a personal gym at our homes. And so when mm-hmm. even our community is closed and the local gyms are closed in the community, I think it's also a lack of opportunity lately too that's been impacting the DEI yeah. space and health. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like we can't like ignore the fact that most minorities and underrepresented populations suffer like major health inequities, right? We can't ignore that minority populations right now are suffering from premature death and illnesses like cancer and chronic disease at such a disproportionate rate that it's not Hispanic white counterpart. And that's across the whole United States, right? So to not think that we don't see that at Cornell as well is we have to be able to recognize that. And again, be more of an advocate for making sure that we instill these little, little tools and, and routines that help prevent some of these things like chronic disease and things like that. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about just generally, broadly speaking, just so many inequities, health inequities. We talked about the role of trauma and kind of some of these health inequities and the existence of them or the persistence of them still to this day. So I guess my question is, how do we center and prioritize minority health, even I would say, especially now in the middle of a global pandemic, broadly speaking, how would you encourage people to prioritize the importance of health in general? Well, first, it just comes with with education, right? I think that once we start to educate ourselves and we start to become, again, like you said, we said this word awareness a lot. Once we start to become aware of some of these health inequities and how, you know, some minorities are disproportionately affected by some of these things, once we start to become aware of that, it's really hard to ignore, 
So when we can't ignore those things anymore, we start to think about, oh, how can I take a preventative role in this? So then we start to become leaders in our families, right? When we start to become leaders in our families, we start to become leaders with our friends. When we start to become leaders with our friends, we start to become leaders in our communities. And that's that small, those small little steps, right? Well, I feel like at the end of the day, we'll get us to this collective awakening of where we want to be, especially in this global pandemic where the people that were around the most is probably the only people that we're seeing, right? Like, it's not like we can go out here, we can go out there. So you really have a really good opportunity to focus in on it for yourself and your family, right? creating a routine for yourself and your family and start to make change that way. And when we start to make change in our individual circles, we, we can make it um, in, into a bigger circle. And I've said this too, like, especially at Cornell, right? We have such a diverse population here, but we're only as strong as our weakest link. We say one Cornell, right? So if, if one piece of Cornell is suffering, then we're all suffering. And I'm a football coach. And I always say that to my players. It's like, yo, we're only as strong as our weakest link. So if this guy's not getting up the hill, and we're all not getting up the hill. So, you know, we have to we have to push each other to prioritize this. As we continue this discussion, this question actually is for Jeremy, Anthony, and for all of us to kind of talk through. It's more like, what else should we all be aware in terms of the intersection between minority health and DE&I space? I think about in terms like, we talked a lot about awareness, right? So what do we do after we become aware and we actually get into the spaces where we can take care of some of these issues, right? But then we start to get into the topic of, you know, cultural competency when we actually get, you know, we get into the healthcare system, right? right. Like when I actually go into the doctor's office. And one example that I can specifically give. So my mother is white. She's a nurse. She works at the hospital up here. And one time, like my sister was up here who is, um, She's my half sister, so my father has three other children from a previous marriage, but and they are fully African American. So like, whereas like I'm half, I'm biracial. They are a lot darker than I am, right? So they go into the doctor's office, and they were gonna send my sister home, and she's anemic, and it was like a huge fiasco. Like she got sick while she was up here. She went into the doctor's office, and they were really gonna send her home. And my mother had to go in there and say, hey, listen, did you check this? Did you check this? Did you check this? And then they were like, oh yeah, never mind." Then So they started to take a deeper look at it. So with all that being said, I think it's just important that, you know, when we start to actually get into these spaces, it's important that we have an advocate. And if you don't know exactly about a condition that you're concerned about, making sure that your healthcare provider is culturally competent to handle some of these things. And then to also have an advocate who can speak on your behalf if you're not 100% aware of what, what might be going on. For me, that kind of comes into play like with my, in, my in-laws and they don't speak a lot of English. And so for us, it's, it's the language barrier that really inhibits the kind of care that they get. So if I were to send them into the doctor's office on their own, they wouldn't be able to advocate for themselves because they wouldn't be able to communicate what they're feeling or what's happening or none of that stuff. And then the other part of the language barrier that comes into play for us is when they'll describe some things to me and there isn't an equivalent English word for me to be able to describe it to the doctor, like what's happening to them, right? Because it's like, this is what's happening, like an overall feeling of uneasiness doesn't really help the doctor to like diagnose them with anything, right? But yet that's how they're describing it to me. So I have to figure out as their advocate, 
like really probe them with a lot of questions that I know the doctor will be asking so that when we get to the office, like I can explain it to the doctor what's happening, what what they're really experiencing. So being the advocate, I think, is very, very important in terms of some of the cultural barriers and language barriers that come into play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think for me, the cultural competency is the part that resonates with me the most. And so even though like I've been super fortunate and privileged to have jobs that provide insurance and provide access to many different providers. The biggest challenge as somebody who identifies particularly as LGBTQ and a person of color has been to find a culturally competent provider that is aware of the needs of both of those very salient identities Mm -hmm. for me, because those are identities for me that I don't separate. Like I don't see them as separate identities. I can't talk about being a person of color without talking about being queer and vice versa. So when it comes to my health, a lot of my health needs are centered around those two identities. And yet, even with the access to several different providers and having that insurance coverage there. I've had a really hard time finding providers that are culturally competent. If you're going to be a provider, if you're going to work in the health space, like I think it's just super critical and important that from a DEI lens and approach that we think about the needs of so many diverse populations, because you just never know when you're going to need them. And I think with this greater awareness around equity and especially around inclusion more broadly, like, now is definitely the time to be focusing on health and minority health and just access more broadly that even when you do have that access, like that's one huge barrier. Yet the other barrier is, am I going to find somebody who actually understands my needs? Yeah. Yeah. hundred so. percent. And what I'll say is, you know, kind of pulling it back to, you know, what I can resonate with is, is we talked about this earlier is in terms of like mental health, right? finding a mental health care provider, especially being a black male, can be very difficult because first of all, how many people of color do we have around here that can serve the needs of the black population here? You know, there's a lot, like we talked about earlier, the trauma that comes from some of these things, you know, racial trauma, like, am I going to get somebody who actually understands that? Because that's a huge part of your healing. And am I going to be able to, because in order for therapy to really work, you have to be able to let yourself go right? You have to be mm-hmm. able to tell everything. So can you really do that with a person who doesn't understand you culturally? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious, Jeremy, you just did a really awesome, phenomenal project back in February for Black History Month, where you interviewed Black staff and faculty here at Cornell. And so for folks who haven't watched it, we'll put a link in the show notes for this episode. But I'm wondering if there were any conversations that really stood out for you that kind of touched upon this really this need around mental health, but also just health broadly, specifically with that project that came up for you. You were like, oh, we need to be talking about this more, right? Yeah. Again, I think the biggest thing for me was just mental health, right? Like one of the conversations I had with Mayor Savante was really, really powerful for that in terms of like talking about being young. And we specifically talked about how the relationship between alcohol and how how to have a healthy relationship with that and how that can play a huge role in your mental health. So that conversation was really, really good. I also having a conversation with Catherine Thresher-Carroll, who leads on the, in the mental health department over with Cornell Health. Dr. John Clark, again, another great advocate for health and wellness and just overall. Yeah, again, for me, I think it really broke down to, you know, the pillars of health in, in terms of physical health that I think of, right? So am I getting an adequate amount of physical activity in my life? Right. And that looks different for everybody, but the general recommendation is 150 minutes of moderate intense activity a week. So that's literally just like walking. So am I making sure that I'm doing that? That could play a huge role in, in limiting some of the 
health inequities that we see. The other in terms of nutrition, eating a whole diet, like eating, eating whole foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, staying away from fried foods, staying away from processed foods. So when you're doing your shopping, how much time am I spending on the perimeter where most of the produce is, as opposed to how much time I'm spending in the aisles where all the processed foods is. So staying away from those trans fats. Um, and then the other thing is sleep, making sure that you're trying to get in between seven and nine hours. And then for me is the mental wellness piece. I think that goes hand in hand with everything because we see the, what stress can do. And, you know, there's such a disproportionate rate of heart attacks and strokes and specifically the black population compared to its white counterpart. And I think a lot of that has to do with a stress barrier. So how can we take care of our, our mental well-being? I just really think about trying to drill those four pillars in because that's really what we talked about throughout the show. Mm-hmm. And the four pillars that you mentioned, I feel like are tangible. They're things that we can easily modify. Well, not easily, but it, it'll be challenging for some folks. And I'm sure, you know, for me, when you were saying some of those things, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could probably do better in that area around sleep, for example. Right. Not to say it'll be easy from the jump, but I can definitely work towards that and modifying that just to ensure and really live by my your motto, which is health as well. Yeah. yeah. And one thing that I will stress for people is it's not about being perfect because it's we're humans we're we're not supposed to we're not supposed to live perfectly you know we're we're we should be able to have fun and and do things that are enjoyable to us but a good model that a friend told me once especially in terms of like nutrition is like think of it like a batting average right so you know if you for anybody that watches baseball you know it's what am I doing am I hitting the ball most of the time am I getting on base most of the time you know I think if we start to think about in terms of like what am I doing most of the time as opposed to what I'm doing some of the time that can really start to move your progress forward and not getting caught up on the little things. Because again, we're human, we're supposed to have fun, but you know, really pulling it back and making sure you're doing what you're supposed to do most of the time. I love that. So earlier, when we first started with the question of the day, both of you talked about seeking therapy, right? And how important, how, how important that was and how helpful it has been for both of you. I want to say that when it comes to minority and minorities and mental health, that there is lots of stigmas associated with seeking therapy and getting help related to that. And so can you talk a little bit about how beneficial therapy has been for you and maybe what other stigmas exist for mental health and minorities? Yeah, thank you for that question, Toro, because it really is a, it's really a, a, a powerful question. And until we address this, I feel like we're not going to move the needle on it. That's again, why I am so open about seeking therapy. I will say that with specifically in black culture, it's kind of put on you that like, if you're, if you're talking to a therapist, it's almost like it's considered a white thing. Right. Mm. And you hear about that a lot, right? Because it, it shouldn't be, because it's, it, it's almost a luxury to be able to seek therapy. And not only when you, when you start to get past that, it's more of like, you're almost looked at as weak for needing to talk right. about some of the stuff that you're dealing with. And I got to say that I read this really great book. I've said it a couple of times in, in a couple of spaces that I've been in. It's, it's called The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health by Dr. Rita Walker. And in that book, she really does a great job of like really depicting that specific thing, like talking about just how minorities struggle with being able to talk about some of these health inequities or being able to talk about just mental health in general, the stigma that comes from that. It's really about, it's shown as a sign of weakness. And I think that until we get over that hump, we're really not gonna move that needle. 
Yeah, I think I would just say too that within like Latino, Latinx culture, similarly, there's this stigma really around seeking that help. But I also think about, and this is more from a personal lens, I think arguably can be said about culture broadly. And I think both of you would agree, just the role of trauma and how I guess a way to cope with trauma, I think in Latinx culture, a lot of times has been to quote unquote, be resilient, which means don't talk about it or to just put up with it or deal with it. And I just know that just knowing the historical trauma piece within my family and within my culture that like there is a lot that needs to be processed and there it gives me a lot of comfort. I think particularly now, just the greater awareness around culturally competent therapists. So right now, you know, I'm seeing a queer person of color who's a therapist, right? And so just being able to talk to somebody who has similar identities so that when certain topics do come up, it's like I don't have to then add an a, like an asterisk and say, oh, let me give an educational moment to my therapist right. about why the experience is so salient to me, why I need to process it, right? So I think there's there's a lot that we can do to help other therapists of color or therapists who also have other minority identities to be able to like support them in their work. And I think there's also just this piece around like just the role of trauma. Like I think cultures and, and a lot of other minorities that I've heard of just really, we really downplay the role of trauma and how much of an effect it has on our health, especially our mental health. So it's just been super liberating to be able to talk to another therapist who has similar identities that I do where I don't have to explain and provide like an education lesson. So that's the only thing I would just add there too, is that really my investment in it, it really comes from uh, addressing the historical trauma piece that my family and the legacy of our culture in terms of colonization, racism, in terms of colorism, anti-blackness, so many of these issues, right, that have an effect on our mental health and well-being that like that needs to be addressed and come to the forefront. Yeah, and for Absolutely. me, it ties to access and availability too, right? So if there's stigmas that exist within our culture, how many individuals, right, if they if they say, oh, I'm going to be a doctor, right, how many kids then are going to then go on to be a mental health care provider, right? They're going to go on to become a psychologist or a psychiatrist, because if there's stigmas that, that exist within the, the individual cultures, that's not the profession that they're going to seek, then that leads to kind of the lack of access or lack of availability for us. And so it's kind of this whole circle that just keeps yeah. spinning. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. cyclical. Would you say that, yeah. Jeremy? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's very cyclical. And again, and I think that you really hit the, the nail on the head there when you talked about the role of trauma. Because again, with a lot of minorities, there's a huge trauma piece that's going into that. So when we talk about mental health and finding a healthcare provider, once you get over that hump, right? Once you yeah. get over that hump, it's like, why do I have to explain this to a therapist of like why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling? Because I don't even know why I'm feeling that way. Like I, it took, it that's took why me I'm five, here talking to you. Yeah, exactly. like it took exactly. it took me seeing a culturally competent therapist to understand that. Some of the ways in which I act and react to things and my emotions that I have are because of racial trauma. Like, mm-hmm. I would have never put it in that bag. I would have just thought of like, oh, I'm just kind of going through it right now. Mm-hmm. But no, it's a direct role of some of the things that you've experienced within your life. And I know, and, I've seen, and I won't go too, too deep into this, but I know specifically for me, I, you know, I grew up in a very rural community and experienced a lot of racial trauma, especially watching my dad being taken away from my family and being wrongfully incarcerated for something that he never did. So like, and you gotta see, like when you see that, when that happens to you as a child, right? Like 
that's going to play a direct role in the way that you become an adult, you know? So mm-hmm. I think, and until, and if, if I would have never had a culturally competent therapist, I would have never been able to kind of deal with that, you know? hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Well, I'm, we could, we could easily talk about this. I know Jeremy, you are super passionate about it. We are <laughs> passionate about it. And as you mentioned earlier, we've been doing a lot of work lately, which has been really nice in order to really address the importance of health and minority health in DEI efforts and in conversations around health and well-being. So as we wrap up this conversation, I kind of want to leave with an additional note for our listeners and even for people maybe who don't identify as being a part of a minority group. How can we all as a Cornell community work to really advocate for health and well-being, especially with this focus on DEI and particularly on minority health? Like how can we all serve as better advocates? We all got to be in it together. That's one. Know, one thing that we can do is we can really start to uh, more of on like a supervisor managerial role start to really encourage work flex time to you know really think about taking care of like your own physical activity throughout the day like taking some time off like 30 minutes throughout the day to be able to do some physical activity to maybe focus on some mental wellness i think that another thing that we can do is like i said i work for wellness we serve faculty staff retirees spouses and partners in the areas of fitness nutrition and general health and wellness take advantage of our services take advantage of the education that we have here on campus um, i think we could do a better job encouraging mental health days as well because again that plays a huge role in it yeah and i would say that you know with working with Cornell wellness that we're here for you anything in the areas of fitness nutrition and general health and wellness please feel free to take advantage of some of our services and we'll put a link in our show notes also to your website. So if people want to seek those services, they'll know directly how to get a contact with you. So thank you, Jeremy, once again, so much. Just want to thank you for your time, for spending this space with us, as you mentioned earlier. And honestly, it's always a great joy to have a conversation with you. So thanks, Absolutely. Jeremy. Absolutely. I got to echo that. I got to echo that. It's always great to share the space with you. So thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to, to partnering with you on many, many other things, Anthony and Toro. So thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, Anthony, what a great conversation we just had with Jeremy. What was your biggest takeaway? One of the biggest ones for me in re-listening to it again, I didn't realize how much I shared about Mm -hmm. my own experience related to mental health specifically and just thinking about health more broadly. And so I just think my biggest takeaway, honestly, was just that these conversations need to happen. And I'm just glad that Jeremy felt comfortable to share some of his insight around health and also talking about him seeking therapy similar to me, but just really having the opportunity to converse about it in a public platform like this podcast. That's really my biggest takeaway. And I think it just really affirms what Jeremy was alluding to in terms of making sure that we continue to have these conversations because nothing is going to get done if we continue to not talk about them or not specifically name especially a lot of the cultural components that we all shared in terms of our own identities and our own lived experiences and the role that health has played in maybe not even addressing certain things, especially in regards to mental health and even trauma. So there were a lot of takeaways for me, but I think that was the main one is that we need to have these conversations. They have to start somewhere. And I'm just glad that it was able to start here in this podcast. What about you, Toro? Yeah, for me, uh, I agree. And I think the other thing that I realized is that there are so many different nuances that impact 
health overall and then mental health and you know specifically for minority communities because we each focus on different areas during our conversation mm-hmm. um, and so I thought that was just very interesting that there isn't just this overall overarching theme when it comes to mental health that there are so many different nuances that impact it so I thought that that was the most unique part of the conversation for me is just really listening to the different topics that we explored and realizing that all of those, and then there are probably so many more that we didn't even touch on yeah. that that impact minority communities and health. I think definitely listening to it again, I kind of felt like a little overwhelmed mm-hmm. towards the end, only because we did talk about so many aspects of health and in particular access to health resources. And I think one of the parts that was a little bit overwhelming for me to hear again was just even when you do have access to certain resources, particularly for minority communities, that doesn't always ensure that they're going to get the most accessible, inclusive care. And that for me was like really kind of overwhelming to hear and to kind of be reminded of, especially when I thought about some of my own experiences, some of which I didn't share in this particular show. But I think it also just reaffirms going back to Jeremy's point around the role of advocacy and the importance of advocacy here in terms of supporting our colleagues right, and supporting each other, especially for managers and supervisors, how they can best support their staff when it comes to access to health resources and just making sure that these conversations are welcome at work and they're not necessarily kind of looked down upon, right? I mean, health is, it affects us, it affects us at work, it affects how we show up at work. And so there really shouldn't be, in my personal opinion, like shame or fear to talk about concerns relating to health, especially personal health. To your point, I remember Jeremy sharing the story about his sister and how, you know, even having his mom who works in a hospital setting, she had to be the advocate for his sister who wasn't getting the care, right? They would have sent her home and she could have been, you know, something serious could have happened. And so had his mother not been there to advocate for his sister, I can't imagine what could have happened. Yeah, in some cases. And that was a really powerful story that he shared, too, that I really appreciated. So I'm just curious, Toral, is there anything that you feel really strongly that you're going to take with you as you engage, take away from this conversation with others here at Cornell? You know, for me, it's like that's being an advocate is a role that I've played, as I shared, I think, with my in-laws who don't speak a lot of English, always there with them. And I've always looked at that as just because they don't speak English, I need to be there. But I hadn't thought about that I actually need to be an advocate for them that, you know, like, I'm not just going to, I no longer am going to take the doctor's word to say, oh, there's nothing wrong or there's, you know, that they're, they'll be fine. Just do this or that or whatever it is. I think like I realized through this conversation that I can be a stronger advocate for them and not just to be there to be a translator. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. And that really resonates with me too, as somebody who grew up speaking Spanish and English, with English being my first language and having family members that I used to go to with hospitals and doctor visits and because they didn't speak English. And so that really speaks powerfully to me. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me kind of coming from this conversation was just to not be afraid to bring up concerns around mental health and well-being and to also advocate for that, right? If there is kind of 
a fear of talking about it in a particular training that I facilitate. I actually just recently did a training and really highlighted some of the kind of mental health implications when it comes to non-inclusive practices, for example. And that really strongly resonated with the people in attendance. And I thought that was really powerful because a lot of people ended up commenting and saying, you know, thank you so much for sharing that insight or for reminding us of just the health implications of what it means to work in a non-inclusive environment that doesn't welcome these conversations around health, whether it's mental health, physical health, emotional health. I think just really reminding people and pulling in research where it's applicable to really remind people just the implications that non-inclusive practices, especially at work, can have on individuals. Right. Anthony, right before we end our conversation today, I just want to kind of jump on the bandwagon that you and Jeremy started with this health is wealth concept. And so I think I'm, I'm on that bandwagon with yes. you. And, and I hope the rest of our listeners are there as well. Health is wealth. Invest yes. in your health in 2021 and for many years beyond. Yes. Thank you for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and the show. For latest updates on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Toral Patel. My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Workforce Diversity in collaboration with Cornell Broadcast Studio. We would like to thank our co-producer and sound engineer, Bert Odom-Reed, as always, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks, Thanks Bert! Bert. <laughs> Appreciate it. it. <laughs>